Edge Radio. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing coming to you worldwide from MegaWare Keelguard Studios. Hey there, Bass Edge Nation. Welcome back. Aaron and I are excited to get to another episode of Bass Edge Radio. Aaron, man, it's been uh, a nice June, ready for July. It's odd, Aaron, I gotta admit. I can't believe we're already hitting July. I mean, the shutdown, the whole craziness, March, April, May, and we're finally back to living, my friend. (laughs) We are. We are. You know, at at least things are moving in the right direction, I guess. Of course, there has been some increasing cases, but it is nice that tournaments are back, Kurt, being able to get out there and get on the water again. It feels like the season is kind of kicking off, really. It is, and it's going to continue, man. I mean, you know, just the last several weeks, you've had the MLF BBT Heavy Hitters, the FLW Pro Circuit, BASS Open, BASS Ufala, and, you know, another BASS. SS Elite Series. Dude, the schedule is now going to be cram-packed. If you're a bass fan, like a fan of bass tournament fishing, the next four months is going to be awesome. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, ironically, Kurt, I was uh, conversing with our friends there at MegaWare Keelguard. Of course, this episode and all episodes have always been partnered by MegaWare Keelguard, certainly uh, with the Battery Guard, many of the products that we talk about all the time, the first do-it-yourself keel protector, you know, and they said kind of their season is a little different because the sales, you know, the sales trends, it was a roaring spring and now things are just off to the races again, which normally, kind of this time of year, you know, you see things slow down a little bit and then kind of pick back up as they head into the later season. But that's not the case for them. And I know all the tackle shops have just been swamped. It's been busy. Hook business, Hayabusa fishing hooks have been rolling off the shelves as well. So uh, happy to hear about all the great success for industry folks. And, you know, it does seem like we're going to have that nice spring boost that, of course, fishing all always sees and and now we're going to get that extended boost later on in the year when usually it slows down a little bit so uh it's a wild crazy year and uh one that uh, will never be forgotten but uh, something that's never to be forgotten of course is a protecttheharvest.com tackle tip so y'all stay tuned we're going to continue on with bass edge radio This episode's ProtectTheHarvest.com Tackle Tip with MLF BBT Pro, Jacob Wheeler. What's up, guys? And I'll tell you what. When you get out offshore this time of year, the fish are getting a little bit goofy out there. And one of my favorite techniques to throw during this time of year is throwing a 4-inch or a 3-inch Largo Shad by storm. Now, finesse swim baiting is known to be a great technique on clear water impoundments. But I think sometimes we forget to use these techniques on places like the Tennessee River and downsizing your presentation or even your local body of water where you might throw a big crankbait or a football jig and stuff like that. What I use for setup-wise is my 7-foot medium-heavy action Jacob Wheeler Signature Series rod with a 6.3 to gear ratio, ducket 360 reel, 10-pound line seems to be about perfect. And then I throw about a 3.8 ounce little finesse swim bait head. That seems to be the best for me. Downsizing your presentation normally gets you more bites, but don't be fooled. It sometimes gets really big fish, especially when they're pressured, and it's definitely helped me out over the years. Awesome tip, Jacob. Thanks so much. Brought to you by protecttheharvest.com. 
first by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. The Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Livewell, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. Well, Kurt, one thing we always know this time of year is the brown fish, meaning smallmouth, tend to come into play, and I will say I am quite jealous of all of these smallies that are all over social media right now. Dude, it seemed like somewhere around that mid-June time frame, right after we did the Polinic episode, we actually did a tackle tip with him about smallie fishing. And man, I tell you what, the, the social media is just lit up with it. So I love catching smallmouth, Aaron. I really do. It's my favorite species of bass, no, no doubt about it. Yeah, because I mean, you, you know, you catch one and I can't tell you how many times, and I've been fishing a very, very long time. You and I are the same age, but you know, you get one on the end of the line and I've never called a fish a uh, four pounder more times than not. And it's always <laughs> right. a small mouth and it's probably always about 15 inches long. You know, I mean, they're just like hooking onto a Volkswagen. Yeah, they are a ton of fun. I'm looking forward. I actually uh, got uh, my youth fishing class going on up in New York. So uh, excited to be going out and fishing with some young anglers in the Northeast and doing that at uh, Oneida Lake, Aaron. So, man, I'm going to get my hands on some here real quick. So, um, I know, you know, you're a lucky guy. At Table Rock, you can get your hands on smallmouth any time of year. And we catch some down here at Lake Amistad, but I really like catching those, you know, three and four pounders, like you mentioned. They're just a ton of fun. And, you know, again, one of my favorite favorite species. Talking about a ton of fun, Aaron, you're going to a wild place coming up very shortly. The Naknek, is that pronounced right up in Alaska? Uh, I'm going to go with that because okay. I, I think that's right. Uh, yes, I am fortunate. I will be heading just in a couple days to head up there and do some salmon fishing. I have not done it. It is a uh, tidal river system. And so really looking forward to doing that. But uh, all spinning tackle with uh, 30 to 50 pound braided line. So yeah, just really looking looking forward to that. I always remember Scott Martin talked about, well, we interviewed him, I don't know, several episodes ago, but you know, right. he talked about the saltwater experiences that he does. So I'm looking forward to kind of getting out and doing a little uh, different species and, and seeing how that compares to bass fishing. I've always been scared to go red fishing because I've heard I'll make me put my bass rods down. So. <laughs> I've caught a few reds. They are fun, but uh, I mean, there's just no comparison to bass fishing. It's the whole puzzle, man. You know, we, we've agree. got something special that we're a part 
part of and then all of us that listen to Bass Edge Radio, crazy bass fishing enthusiasts. I, I know people look at us and think that we're nuts, but that's all part of the fun. <laughs> I agree. I agree. All right. Well, hey, we are set, ready to go. We've got an excellent angler coming up, arguably the number one angler. And I said that last couple episodes ago, but this guy is right up there too. Hang tight. Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight coming up next. This is BASS Elite Angler John Cruz. This is MLF BPT Pro Jacob Wheeler. This is BASS Elite Series Pro Brandon Polony. It's me, FLW Pro Matt Becker. This is BPT MLF Pro Angler Mike Iconelli. Hang on, Bass Edge Radio. We'll be right back. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat. Guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. Aaron, today we are lucky to check in with another top five angler in the world, arguably the best. Uh, there's several guys, you know, a few guys, I will say several, but a few guys you could put in the best category. And, and this is certainly one of them making the transition from the FLW tour in 2019 to the MLF BBT format here in 2020. It seems though it's gone pretty smooth as he continues to string up top finishes, making it known he should be in any continued conversation of the best coming off a second place finish in the heavy hitters mlf bbt event we've got professional angler brian thrift brian appreciate you taking time to chat with us on the show man oh yeah i'm glad to be here i appreciate y'all having me on it's always fun when i get to talk about bass fishing looking forward to it well, Brian, ironically, last we chatted, you came off an FLW series win at Lake Norman in 2016, and you've really turned it up a notch, if that's even possible, with your historic FLW Cup victory last summer in Arkansas. And then in the off season, you had an opportunity and made the switch to the MLF BPT. Now you're excelling in every format imaginable. How have you been able to transcend your success from FLW into the BPT? To me, I've approached the BPT just like I would any tournament. I still do everything the same as I did with FLW and uh, just kind of going with the flow. Like I was hesitant to change anything to start off with until I had a few events under my belt and recognized I needed to change something, obviously. And uh, so far, it's worked out where I haven't really had to change anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's been going good. So, you know, you hear a lot about like a rookie, right? Let's say there's this angler worked his way up through the triple A's. He finally makes the tour or the elite series, you know, over the last 20 years that those were around. And now you make the switch and you fished against these anglers in the past, specifically talking about long-term BASS elite series guys like uh, Van Dam or Hackney and Hackney fished the tour 
before. So, you know, some of this transcends over the two. But when you're launching your boat the first morning of the first BBT event of the year, is Brian Thrift calm, cool, and relaxed like we would imagine him in previous national tournament events? Or is this amped up for you a little bit? No, I was still pretty calm, cool, and collected. But um, fortunately, the first BPT event this year was on Lake Eufaula, which is a lake I'm very, very familiar with Mm -hmm. and very comfortable on. So I, I wasn't panicked at all. That event, my very first BPT event, I only practiced one day. We had some terrible weather, so I just kind of went with history there and ended up finishing second in that event. To me, it's just like any other event. I mean, the pressure is probably the biggest difference because you know throughout the day where you stand in the standings. And to me, that is the one factor that is so much different than traditional FLW tournament where you don't know what the other anglers have. Right. And that's a that's a bad feeling. Like there's there's nothing worse than fishing a tournament all day and not knowing the fish are biting until way in because then it's too late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it's typically not been an issue for you, but do you feel like that you're able to put more pressure on other anglers by dinging the score tracker and having them here Brian Thrift with a Brian Thrift with a two Brian Thrift, <laughs> you know. And and of course you probably feel that conversely from the other guys. Uh, you know, at times, do you like that piece of the puzzle? Do you think it adds something that's a, a positive? Do you like traditionalist type, you know, as you fished in the past? What's your feeling on that process? I, I love the score tracker. I mean, I like, you know, getting the updates. I mean, I don't want to be constantly bombarded with it. Like every time someone catches a fish and, right. and what's weird about it is I don't let it affect what I'm currently doing unless I'm way down in the standing. Right. So that is the positive to the score tracker is if, you know, you start out the first period and all of a sudden everybody in the field's caught four or five and you haven't had a bite, you know that, hey, these fish are biting. I've got to go somewhere different. I've got to change baits. I've got to do something different. So from that aspect, it helps you because you already know you're behind the eight ball and you've got to make a decision. It's not like a traditional tournament where you may not make that decision change till 12 or 1 o'clock during the day and not know, but you know early on whether what you're doing is capable of competing or not. Definitely makes a lot of sense. I remember the first time I was able to compete with the selects and and the first time I started hearing that thing, I was like, man, I'm not sure I like this. But then after you got used to it, it was like, okay, well, I know they're biting. If I ain't catching them, I'm doing something totally wrong. So it was good feedback in that perspective as well. Right. And it just helps you make decisions quicker. Because you can't let these guys go two hours catching them and you not catch anything because you <laughs> can't catch up. You've got to you've got to make decisions change very very quickly and adapt to whatever's happening to be able to stay relevant and give yourself a chance. Yeah, for sure. That instantaneous feedback adds many layers, but certainly uh, you've adapted well. And speaking of adapting well, Brian, you know the recent heavy hitters event in Florida, you had another successful event. Talk to me a little bit about Florida fishing in June versus January or February, which would be a typical time frame, you know, on the national tour schedule. And what difference did you right. notice and, and how did you have to more or less alter your strategy to come away with the results that you did? Well, the first thing that I noticed different wise between Florida fishing in January and February versus June was you get a lot more bites in June. Mm. The, the fishing's way better. 
and it's all around better to me because you've got so many different options. You don't have the lakes trashed from, you know, a hard north wind and a cold front where only half of the lake's fishable. I mean, it opens everything up where everything's fishable. It's just a, a lot funner fishing down there that time of year than it is in springtime. So I hope I don't ever have to go back to Florida in January, <laughs> February. <laughs> But that is that, so that funny. That was the first thing I noticed. And uh, that being said, I mean, you could really pick your poison that time of year. I mean, guys that like to get up there and flip grass and throw frogs and stuff like that, they caught them. Guys that like to fish offshore hydrilla caught them. Guys that like to run up creeks and fish moving water caught them. And the dominant pattern seemed to be the offshore hydrilla and brush piles, which is what Jordan Lee and myself and several other guys in the top 10 were doing. And it was uh, just a fun bite. I mean, it really was. That's one of the things that you didn't hear much about in the past associated with Florida is brush piles. I've been fortunate enough to fish there a few times in July with the ICAST Cup, and we fished brush piles during that time of year. But uh, never did I even think about fishing brush piles in January or February being there for a tournament. But now do you think that the lightning has stricken, you know, with Florida anglers and maybe we're going to start seeing more brush piles like we do at Eufaula, <laughs> you know, down in down <laughs> Toho and Kissimmee? It's possible. I, I really don't think so because there's so much grass. And I mean, what I was, I was fishing probably 70% grass and 30% brush when I was there. I mean, so the grass is still definitely a factor. And it's just that time of year is just fun because those fish are set up on their summer type places where they're feeding mm-hmm. versus a pre-spawn or spawn event where those fish may not be interested in feeding. They may be sitting back waiting to spawn or already up spawning and then a cold front comes through and knocks them back. So the last event I fished at Toho was an FLW event. I think it was last year actually. Mm-hmm. And I barely missed the, or no, I made the top 30 cut, but I was only catching like six or seven bites a day and this time there in june the first week of june you know you were getting 15 to 25 bites a day yeah big difference i know you didn't have the one pound deal from last year you started this year with the two pound minimum as far as a scoreable bass for this particular event the championship round went to a three pound minimum did you have to change your style from qualifying rounds in the knockout round to try to up the ante on getting a larger bite for that championship round? I didn't change anything. I mean, that that was a unique format and a unique twist. And I guess that's the first time they've ever employed that in the Bass Pro Tour. But um, I just kind of took it with stride that and looked back at what I'd called over the previous three days. And most of my fish were averaging over three pounds anyway. Okay. So, um, I mean, I caught it. Obviously, I waited or had a couple of scoreboards that were between two and three, but the average was around three and a quarter to three and a half pounds. Gotcha. So, I gotcha. knew I was on the, the, the right quality fish for the championship round as far as catching the scoreboards that were three pounds or bigger. It was just a matter of could I get enough bites because I was only catching, you know, uh, if I caught 12 or 13 scoreboards during a day, you know, seven or eight of them would be over three pounds. So the only thing I changed was I maybe fished a little bit faster and tried to cover more water to try to put my bait in front of more 
big fish <laughs> right. versus, you know, trying to milk a spot and catch, you know, one more two and a half pounder. You know, if I was fishing a grass patch and I'd caught a couple of scoreables and then I'd maybe one or two unscoreable fish, you know, I would go ahead and leave instead of keep trying to, to milk it and catch a couple of more two and a half pounders. Makes sense. So your main pattern, you mentioned about 70% of the time, you're fishing hydrilla. In other media outlets, I've read swim jig, worms, crankbaits, your primary choice yep. of weapons. Can you explain for us the makeup of, uh, you know, you're, you're cruising around, right? You're, you're in Florida, you know, maybe you're in Gunnersville, maybe you're wherever grass is growing, like Amistad. When you're looking at a hydrilla patch, you know, hydrilla, interestingly enough, if our listeners don't know, they should be aware that that hydrilla grows up in like almost like big plumes, right? Like big mushroom right. plumes. And then, you know, as they go on, they'll fill in in between, but there's a definitive core base of growth that, that happens. When when you're idling around a hydrilla bed or, or an area with, you know, some grass, what do you look for that's going to say, okay, this has the makeup to be potentially very productive for me and then how do you dissect that the first thing i look for is what exactly what you mentioned i want to see clumps i don't want it to be just a solid carpet of grass i want it to have holes in it you know have caverns and voids maybe a point running out something like that just something that's going to stand out from the rest of it and the the good thing about, you know, the electronics I run, I run hummingbirds, but with hydrilla in the summertime, a lot of times fish suspend around the top of it. They don't sit down in the bottom of it. So you can actually see them sitting around those clumps and stuff of hydrilla this time of year fairly well. And you can idle around until you actually see a few fish sitting around one. And then usually you can make one cast and get bit. Then when you're trying to, you know, utilize the different techniques that, that you use in this particular event, swim jig, worms, crankbaits, are there particular things you're looking for that says, okay, this is going to work better for this application versus another application? What are those things that you might be looking for? I don't really look for anything to single out one particular presentation or one particular application. That's kind of why I adopted that three-prong approach to fishing the hydrilla at Toho was because it seemed like every fish was different and throughout the day you know the fish's moods would change like they would be there but they might want a slower presentation versus a faster presentation throughout different times of the day and you couldn't really pinpoint what they wanted at what time you had to really rotate through all three baits on every spot and i would usually start out with the swim jig to catch those aggressive fish that were sitting on top of the grass first like that would be my first couple of casts with the swim jig over top of the grass right and then if i didn't get bit on that i would come through i would drag a demiki worm the mega Miki, through it and catch fish that were kind of more lethargic that didn't really want to chase something and then i would throw the crankbait before i left just to make sure i couldn't get one or two more to react to a reaction bite makes sense one thing that you often hear about you know with hydrilla is uh punching is that something that you tried just didn't work is it not something that you like to kind of lean on you'd rather catch them in these other ways um i did see a couple good fish caught you know punching hydrilla in the event so just wanted to get your take on that yeah i enjoy punching but honestly i'm not very good at it <laughs> <laughs> it's not that's, thrift that's specialty a, i got 
gotcha. So it's it's something I've not had a lot of experience doing, so I'm not as comfortable with it as I am other things. So it's kind of like a last ditch effort for me <laughs> right. to go punching. So, <laughs> so if we see Thrift punching, we know he's in trouble. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's a, I, I joke all the time that I'm the worst flipper on tour. So That's good stuff. All right, Brian. Thanks for breaking that down. Y'all hang in here. We're going to power pull down for a quick break. Brian, Aaron, and I will return in a moment. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the power pole is the ultimate shallow water boat positioning tool. Swift, power pole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, power pole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. Power pole, swift, silent, secure. Visit powerpole.com to find a dealer near you. As always, Bass Edge Radio is presented in part by Mercury Marine. We return with MLF BPT, Pro Angler, Brian Thrift, and the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. That's right, Lucas Oil high-performance marine products. Be sure to visit the BassEdge.com store for free shipping. It works. Well, Brian, heavy hitters obviously paid some monster cash to the largest fish in the different segments on the event. How much do you think uh, kind of those Benjamins altered your practice or tournament strategies to try and cash in on uh, the paybacks? Um, It didn't alter the way I practiced or the way I fished the event at all. And I I think the main reason for that is because uh, originally the heavy hitters tournament wasn't supposed to be a points event. It was going to be a specialty event. And, you know, with the onset of the COVID-19 and everything, they had to make it a full field event and make it a points event. So I was more focused on making sure I had a good tournament to stay up in the points to qualify for the Red Crest. And, you know, I was kind of looking at the bigger picture down the road versus what was happening right now. And um, that was my main goal was to make sure. I didn't fall on my face like I did at Okeechobee this year. I had to have a good tournament to stay up in the points. <laughs> I, I noticed, you know, you're ninth now in the points. And uh, essentially, I it, correct me if I'm wrong, basically you got one event to go. And it was originally scheduled for Champlain, which I am a certain that you were just licking your chops to go up there. But, but now yeah. it's been altered and changed. You're going over to Wisconsin or Michigan, Sturgeon Bay area hasn't really even been announced what lakes that you'll be fishing on or what zones maybe in that green bay area um sturgeon bay area that you'll be fishing what's your thought process on that um well my my initial thought was like you were saying i was looking very (laughs) forward to going to champlain (laughs) and i was a little upset that they moved that from champlain um especially to somewhere i've never been before which i don't get me wrong i love going places i've never been but sure my history on Great Lakes aren't that stellar, so I'm a little concerned about it just because I like to run around a lot, and it's hard to do that on the Great Lakes when you're trying to run in four and five footers. Sure. So I, I usually end up kicking my own self in the butt and making a lot of bad decisions when I go to a Great Lake event. But, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Like I said, I love going somewhere I've never been before, just learning something for the first time. That's my favorite thing to do in this sport. And a lot of times I get asked what my favorite lake is, and I always answer with, you know, it's somewhere I've never been before because that 
satisfaction of figuring out a lake for the very first time. That's something you only get to do so much in a career. I mean, you only get one first chance at a lake, and I, I just I love that. That's cool. Well, it's, it's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be interesting to see how it breaks down. I, I feel like you're pretty safe there in the points. You've had such a great year that you probably don't have a whole lot to worry about, but certainly we wish you the best out there. Brian, if you went to Florida during the month of July, um, obviously you just fished there You know, this past June, you're going to target bigger fish. Do you have specific lures that you would use to accomplish that goal? You know, Florida's known for, you know, the monster bass. They do an awesome marketing job. Let's just face it, right? Texas, oh, Florida. They, they, do. they do. Yeah. So, so, you know, your buddy's going down to Florida. Brian, I want to catch a big fish. What do I do to target a big fish in Florida this time of year in July? The first thing I would do is pick up a big worm. Like I said, I was throwing that Demiki Mega Miki. It's an 11-inch straight tail worm, and it's got a little bigger profile. It's pretty fat worm, and that's a good bait for summertime big fish. Probably the five or six biggest fish. Well, every fish I caught over five pounds of heavy hitters came on that Demiki worm. The last day I caught two over six on it. And it's just a, a good way to generate a big bite. And just so throw it on a Texas rig. Yeah, I was just going to ask ask that. If you're throwing it on a Texas rig, which I I assumed, sorry to interrupt you, but how do you pick weight size? You know, I mean, you've got eighth ounce. You know, you hear a lot about small weights in Florida, quarter ounce, you know, half ounce. Uh, you know, what's going to dictate how have you weight you're going to choose to put on that texas rig and then to peg or not to peg that's always a big question for a lot of anglers <laughs> um i let the thickness of the cover dictate the weight size but generally speaking in the summertime the fish don't really bury up in cover they kind of use the edges of it or that's their feeding zone i would call it is the edge of the cover and i would go with a quarter ounce to a five sixteenth ounce weight and something that's not going to bury up in the grass and you could you know work over it and through the edges and things like that that's what i would go with just because it's it's easier to cast versus throwing eight ounce for one thing and these fish they're not moody like they are when they're spawning in the spring when they're spawning fish tend to get very moody in florida they want to bait sitting still or barely moving and that's when you go to lighter weights and i don't think the lighter weights help you get more bites per se from a fish perspective but it makes you fish slower, which generates more bites during the spring. But I think during the summertime, those fish are actually actively feeding. So you can pop that worm out of the grass and stuff like that and kind of get somewhat of a reaction bite with that little bit heavier weight, that quarter to five, six, eight ounce weight. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually, Brian. And, and kind of taking it now outside of Florida, what are your absolute truths that you know to be fundamentally true across, I guess, across the country for catching fish in July and August, really on any body of water? To me, there's three truths when it comes to summertime fishing in the lower part of the United States. You know, I'm not talking about the up north smallmouth fisheries, but from Texas, Midwest, all the way to the Carolinas, down to Florida. Sure, sure. There's three major patterns that are capable of winning events. And to me, those three are obviously brush pile fish, fish that are offshore that you can catch on a Texas rig. A drop shot's very popular because fish will suspend around that brush. 
and then you've got a group of a lot of big fish that stay shallow year round in the summer around bluegill beds, just anywhere up shallow eating bluegill and that you can catch on top water all day long, which is one of my favorite things to do. And then you've got fish that tend to get in, search out cooler water or moving water. They may go way up a creek or go to the river portion of the lake or something like that. And to me, that's your three groups of fish that are capable of winning summer events most often. And Brian, looking at a uh, continual transition of fish behavior, like maybe even even into August and September, what environmental factors are you looking at that will kind of lead you to additional patterns or additional things to look for as things progress later in the summer and, and even into early fall? Here in September in the south, it's still summer, right? So, uh, right, right. <laughs> is, is there some additional movement that you'll see or additional transitions that you'll be able to identify? that you can target more patterns? Um, yes, there is one major one. And usually I'll start looking for this about middle to end of August and that's start looking for shad migrations. Because even though it's still hot and it's still summertime in the south, around the end of August, you'll start getting those shad that will start pushing up in creeks and just preparing for that fall transition. And when those shad start doing that, the fish that live in the creeks that stay shallow and are feeding on shad, they will follow those bait fish into the creeks, into the shallow water as early as late summer, you know, when the water's still in the low 90s. So and right. that's a pattern that often gets overlooked until the water starts cooling down and, you know, first mid-October, stuff like that is when people really start looking for that pattern. But it will actually begin as early as late August. Gotcha. The last thing I think we should cover maybe about summertime fishing was actually something to help you win the cup last year, and that was some schooling fish. Is there particular areas you try to look for schooling fish or a setup that makes sense that tells you, okay, I need to keep my eyes open on the surface because I think there's going to be some activity activity formulating either in the morning hours or later in the afternoon hours. I remember a cup, actually, I, th- I guess it was Wheeler a few years back and, yeah. and Michael Neal did yeah, really well. School on school. School. Yeah, exactly. What kind of develops that and how do you look for that in the summer months? The easiest way to locate school and fish in the summer is, well, first off, it's important to try to be out there when the water's slick as it can be, absolutely no wind where you can see them a long ways off. But to narrow down your search, I concentrate where I think fish would school in the summer based on water depth. So usually summertime fish are those pelagic nomadic fish that roam around in the thermocline out in the middle of the lake. So anywhere that deep mid-lake water butts up close to the bank or to an island or something where you've got a very steep transition is a place where those fish can utilize to ambush prey. So those fish that are roaming around out in the middle of the lake chasing those schools of bait fish, if that creek channel butts up to an island or has a hard bend in it with a point on it, that's somewhere that they can kind of call a home because they know the bait fish is going to kind of follow that main river channel and they can ambush them as soon as they come over. And you know, if you've got something to sweeten up the deal, like maybe some standing timber out in the creek channel or something like that to help hold those fish there, also that will benefit and help it become a better schooling fish spot. But it seems like the one common denominator is that deep water close by. That seems to be the biggest thing. Good stuff. All right. Brian, the uh, Nitro Performance Bass Boat Listener Question segment is 
upon us. If you could help us answer this question sent in by Brent Riley, Brent asks, in history, after bass spawn, bass are known to go back into deep water. I'm fishing in the marsh and there's mostly bay flats. Where would you recommend to fish after the spawn? Also, where would the bass go after spawn since there's not many deep areas? The first place I would start my look would be around any shaded cover. You know, if it's um, in a marsh, if you've got overhead vegetation, cypress trees, boat docks, something that's going to create a canopy or create a shade pocket is where a lot of those big fish will go and kind of hang out. But the only detriment to that bite is it usually doesn't develop till 9 or 10 o'clock during the day. It's kind of a midday pattern. But those big fish will actually use that shade as cover post-spawn. And if you'll notice, once the sun gets up high, bluegill and things like that also use that shade as cover. And that's what the big females that are feeding up on bluegills after the spawn, they know that. So they'll flock to that shade and any kind of overhead cover to be able to ambush the prey. So is it safe to say, Brian, that obviously fish are opportunistic and if they have cover and food source, would the water tend to be, you know, with it being out of the sunlight, is the water typically cooler there or is it not so much of a temperature factor as what it is just feeling secure and then having the food source? I think it's more feeling secure and having the food source. I mean, bass don't have the luxury we do of having great coast of sunglasses to wear. So when that That's sun's right. high in the sky and it's shining in their eyes, I don't know if they have eyelids or not, but they definitely don't have sunglasses. So I think it's a combination of food <laughs> and they can use that for cover and kind of use it for protection. Yeah, good point. Well, Brian, thanks for those great tips that you provided to Brent. And Brent, thanks for sending in that question. Now you can actually say that you've had your question answered by one of the top anglers in the world right now. But we need one more thing from you, and that is to simply click on the Claim Your Prize tab on BassEdge.com, fill out the information, and we will get uh, the Bass Edge gift sent directly to you. And as always, Bass Edge listeners, send in your questions to the show via our website, BassEdge.com. Just click on the Ask the Pros tab. You could have your question answered by someone just like Brian Thrift here on the show. You can also shoot us an email, support at BassEdge.com, or leave us a comment on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter media pages. Well, Brian, again, congratulations on your recent success with uh, MLF BPT. Always a pleasure to have you on the show and have you back talking with us again here today. Any final advice for Bass Edge Nation? I guess my final advice would be get out there and go fishing. You know, this is the perfect time of year to go learn something. A lot of people, they kind of dread the summertime fishing, but it's one of my favorite times of year. And a lot of people like to go fish at night in the summertime. I and mean, that's something I've never really enjoyed. I, I still like to get out there daytime fishing, but it's a good time to get out there and learn what fish do that can help you throughout other parts of the year because a lot of times summertime fish and wintertime fish use the same types of structure, the same similar patterns. So you can actually learn stuff in the summer that will help you later on in the year as well. And that's one of my favorite things about summertime fishing. Plus, you can go out there and throw topwater all day if you want to and have a ball. So my advice would be just get out there, go fishing, spend time on the water and have some fun. Yeah, I'm with you, Brian. Topwater fishing ain't much better than getting some explosions on top. It's always always a thrill for sure. (laughs) Exactly. Well, it's always great to get your perspective as well on bass fishing, Brian. So many anglers look up to you. Look forward to seeing you at some more events later this summer bass edge nations y'all hold tight aaron and i will return in a moment 
you know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare KeelGuard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also from MegaWare KeelGuard, SkegGuard, FlexStep Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick, MegaWare KeelGuard. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Always great having Brian on the show, Kurt. Yeah, well, we mentioned it at the top of the show. We'd be remiss we didn't mention it right now. One of the best, if not the best, angler in the world, no doubt about it. I mean, the consistency, you put him against any field out there, dude, he's a badass, period. Which makes it even that much more fun to talk to him, right? Because when you talk to him, he's not doing something crazy off of the radar, secrety stuff. I mean, dude, he, he's using the capability of his electronics. It's probably one of the number one keys to Brian Thrift. You know, he talked about seeing fish in the hydrilla. He understands what he's looking at, and that's based with seat time, right? You know, he's, he's putting his time in his seat, understanding what his electronics are telling him. Secondarily, Aaron is fundamentals man i mean don't be afraid to make the slight change don't be afraid to match a condition that makes perfect sense think about what you're doing how to be best applied with the tools and tactics that we have in bass fishing and that's all he's doing bro i mean it sounds stupid simple but it's so genius yeah and i appreciate that you know he works or manages his strengths and you know i was shocked when i heard him say about punching he's like you see me punching he's like that's a bad day you know yeah, that's what i said yeah exactly but he self-admitted that's not his deal you know he doesn't want to go there generally he will i'm sure but he's keeping it in his wheelhouse yeah all right well another great episode we want to uh, thank everybody for tuning us in certainly there are many choices out there of how to spend the time and we appreciate everybody spending with us. Uh, for all things Bass Edge, be sure to visit the website for updated articles, videos, and, of course, the BassEdge.com store. In the meantime, certainly uh, all of our social media, we appreciate all the comments and feedbacks and keep those listener questions coming. We will have another episode in two weeks, July 15th, episode 332. Hard to believe, Kurt. But uh, we are going to close it down for Kurt Dove. I am Aaron Martin. And we look forward to seeing you on the other side. Have a wonderful 4th of July, everyone. Be safe. The Edge is presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com. 
Mercury Marine, Lowrance Electronics, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.